ESPN 1420, ESPN1420.com, the ESPN 1420 app. Welcome back into the Great Scott Show. I'm Scott Prather coming to you from the ESPN 1420 studio, brought to you by Roofing Louisiana. Joining us now, as promised, Nick Underhill of New Orleans.Football. You guys have heard me sing his praises, uh, and rightfully so, when it comes to getting Saints analysis you're not going to get elsewhere uh, New Orleans dot football is the place to do it. And, uh, Nick, I, I, right out the gate, man, first of all, thanks for taking the time and, and how's life? How are you? Everything's good, man. Thanks for having me. Good. I, I hope you guys are uh, safe there with, you know, I know storms in the Gulf and heading that way, but stay safe and, uh, all the best in that regard. I want to get right into the article, uh, that you had earlier this week, just breaking down the Saints issues in coverage against Carolina And I know Marcus Williams gets a lot of focus from the fans and Marshawn Lattimore when he's not playing up to the standard they've seen him of. Uh, And I'll ask you about them in a minute, but I want to start with uh, with C.J. Gardner-Johnson. You you had a breakdown of it a little bit. I know the Saints like his versatility, but from a coverage standpoint, where does he really need to improve? You know, I think his recognition has, has been pretty poor this season, and this isn't just the Carolina game. There's other plays throughout the season, and I think one that a lot of people probably recognize right off the bat because it was in your face was against uh, Oakland but when he didn't cover the tight end and, and let him go. He, you know, Gardner Johnson's watching the backfield, and the tight end just slips out into the flat for, for an easy touchdown. And some of those same issues, those recognition issues, when he's in a zone, when he has more than one thing to keep his eyes on, he get, he can get lost a little bit. And there were two plays in this game where he was covering the slot, was in a zone, and just he's watching the backfield, and the guy just runs right by him for, for an easy gain. And, you know, one of the other things they did in this game, and, and I don't think you knock him too much for this, but they did target him a lot in the slot, even in man coverage. I think they threw at him 10 times or 11 times uh, – connected on 10 he had the one nice pass breakout but you know their blitz wasn't very effective in this game and you go through you watch the plays they blitzed on the quick valve almost every single time on one of those plays that someone's closing in on Teddy Bridgewater was to Robbie Anderson in the slot with Gardner Johnson on him so he was a little bit of the mark in this game and you know again I I don't think you you you're devastated by the man coverage plays you know there was one that went over 20 yards, but then the rest of those plays were eight yards, six yards, six yards, you know, below 10. It, it wasn't a huge deal, but the zone stuff, the recognition, it, it just, it just wasn't good. And I think that's, that's an issue with the whole secondary is, is these plays where they're just not aware of the things they should be aware of. And it, it's, it's baffling to watch. It's still going on, you know, six games, week seven into the season coming out of a bye. Like it just should not be happening still at this point. I think what's so surprising about it, Nick, is just we've seen how these guys can play. It's not like you've got a lot of new faces and you're working with a new D coordinator. You're working on a new scheme. That's to me, and, and you, you noted as much as well. I mean, training camp, they were being praised a lot. I think we looked at the Saints defense coming into this season as a big strength, a big reason why they were contenders, but – the secondary to this point is what did Sean Payton tell you all this week? That's the $6 million question when he was asked about some of the struggles in the secondary. I, what's confusing to me about it, Nick, is that there's really, I, I can't, I can't find a uh, common answer or reason. I can't find legit reasoning 
why they're having these troubles because they've had continuity and there's really nothing new there. Yeah, I mean, we aren't talking about Corey White and Terrence Frederick and Brian Dixon oh, here. Like, these are, these are highly paid players. Like, Marshawn Lattimore's a, a first-round pick because they had the investment in Janoris Jenkins. Gardner Johnson, he went in the fourth round, but if he wasn't red flagged for some off-field stuff, you know, he, he would have easily been a second-round pick. Marcus Williams is a second-round pick. Uh, you, you know, uh, Malcolm Jenkins is making $8 million a year. Like, th- these aren't these aren't bombs. Like, these are players that have, have displayed that they – you know, an ability to play and to make plays over and over. And yeah, I mean, there's consistency issues with Marshawn and Marcus Williams can't, you know, he's had issues tackling in the past, but I don't think that you look at his coverage through his early years and and say, wow, this guy doesn't understand how to play zone and cover four, but no, his range and ability to get places on the field has always been one of his hallmarks, but now all of a sudden he's, he's not seeing the field correctly. And, Really, nobody is. Like, you go across the board and there's these issues every single game, and it, it doesn't make sense. And the, the thing about this team is that they should have been the team to come into the season rolling. Like, you, there's a ton of continuity. You take Von Bell out, but you bring in Malcolm Jenkins, a veteran player who knows the system. He, he's, he's, you know, he's no stranger to, to New Orleans. And, you know, Dennis Allen's system is very similar to the one that he came up in here. Uh, start his career so it just it doesn't make sense like the communication issues that they're having like why are they having communication issues when most of these guys have been playing together for quite a while Janoris Jenkins is is you know coming into year two but he was here last year like there should be some familiarity they should have been able to pick up on that with him throughout training camp wherever there were issues but like I don't know like something's just off that they aren't responding to something the issues aren't getting fixed the way they should I guess you give them a little bit of leeway going into the bye. And, I, you know, I tried to be a little bit, you know, patient with my commentary and give them a little bit of runway and, okay, they hit the bye, they fix it. But then they come out into this game and they bust a cover three on a, on a you know, a basic nose concept where there's an out route and then a deep, a deep route. To, and the out route, you know, it's basic stuff. That, that's there to displace the safety. The safety just has to see this very common route concept, not bite on it. And the plate on the field isn't open, but he, he bites on it. Marcus Williams bites on it and, and lets the vertical route go. And like, I just don't understand how these things are happening. Like, it, I don't know. It, it, it's just, it's just very odd at this point that they can't figure out the communication, how to play basic cover two, how to play basic cover three. You know, it's everybody likes to talk about the complexity of it, but it isn't that complex. Like players that have been in the system for two, three, four years, Playing cover three should not – it shouldn't be an issue. Like, you, you should just know to play deep and not to bite on the south. Like, I don't know. It, 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 it's, it's tough to watch. Um, you know, it's, it's confusing. And, you know, hearing Peyton become frustrated, it's not a surprise. Like, this has been lingering. And, like, it's just, it's just the same stuff week after week. So, I, I think it's, you know, really getting at a point where things need to improve. Or, you know, I could see his frustration, you know, it isn't going away. Like, he's not going to just calm down and be like, oh, they're still busting coverages and allowing 30 points per game. Like, that's fine. Like, at some point, something's going to have to give. I don't know what that is, but they got to figure it out. I don't know if you change your defense. Something has to happen if this keeps going on, though. Nick Underhill, our guest, ESPN 1420 of New Orleans Dodd Football, Saints analyst, insider, writer. Um, You know, from a defensive standpoint, in terms of the coverage issues, I've had some listeners say, well, yeah, but 
also the pass rush it needs to improve and i that they're they're right i mean it does it hasn't been quite up to par it's had its moments but the pass rush has nothing to do with what marcus williams did on that blown coverage i mean that is that that's just, it's just wide open like the, the it's the the communication issues if the communication is there and a guy has eight seconds to throw, then maybe the focus isn't as much on the secondary, but it's hard to it's hard to make excuses for the secondary. I don't know how one could do it with based on how they've played to this point. And I know early in the season, Nick, we were you and I were chatting about Drew Brees and how we both agreed some of the national narrative around him was wrong, uh, but that there were a few things that had to improve. And they did. And you saw how well he played the offense was in rhythm. If they don't have the turnover, things are probably even better. Maybe it's not a one-score game. But we both agreed. We feel like, okay, Breeze, this is this is going to improve as the season goes on. Now you're six games into it. It's after the bye. Do you still feel like this secondary can come together? Or do you feel like what you were just saying? I mean, I guess what, at what point does it get to a point of no return for Sean Payton and he just goes to Dennis Allen and says, you got to try something different? Yeah, I, I still think they still have the players to get it done. I don't think that these players are bad. There's just something not clicking. And I think they just need that performance where everything clicks, and then I think you'll, you'll see it roll forward. But it's I don't know that you're seeing enough signs of improvement. There are things that are, are, are happening better now than they were earlier in the season. There was one play, Patrick Robinson, he, he, he was a backside corner on a deep pass. Um against I think it was against the Chargers and, and he didn't cover it right you know he got caught up in the wash this week Janoris Jenkins is on it and it's just you know cover three concept when the safety drops down the backside corner fills in deep this week you saw Janoris Jenkins fill in deep and like these little things are getting better but other things aren't getting better so I don't know if it's a step-by-step process and, and you know they defended bootlegs better after not defending them well earlier in the season and you've seen teams kind of do a heat check in the Saints are covering them right now, and then they go away after that one play. So there are little things that are getting better, but it's it's, it's not enough. You know, as for the pass rush, I, I agree that that you know that it isn't doing what it should be doing. I don't think they're knocking on the door enough. But at the same time, this last game, Teddy Bridgewater got rid of the ball 16 times in 2.5 seconds or less. That's you know really not enough time to get in there. Like you see him knocking on the door, but you aren't going to get it open. That's just not enough time if he's getting the ball out that quickly. So. Those things do go hand in hand. I think there are instances where you can look at the pass rush and say, like, all right, this isn't getting it done. Like, I understand Cam Jordan's getting more chips, more doubles than he's seen in the past. You know, in this game, he only got chipped or doubled eight times. And there's still, you know, he had two pressures, but it wasn't impactful enough. And I, I think that's across the board. I, it, it's, it's, I think everybody on the defense, I don't know if you ask me to single out, like, hey, who's the one guy that's, that's even playing up to his reputation – I'm not sure I have an answer for you right now. I, I don't think that anybody's playing as well as they should be. And, you know, it, it's, it's a little perplexing that the level of talent, it just, it's just underperforming right now. And they, they got to figure that out. And the offense is, is starting to figure its stuff out. Breeze is leading the league in pat or completion percentage. You know, they, they're going to score close to 30 points every game. It looks like even if it isn't, you know, optically as pleasing in previous seasons, they're still putting those points on the board. So 
you know, the, the other side of the ball just needs to get that, you know, 30 points per game they're allowing down to 23 every game. They're, you know, 22. It doesn't have to be dominant. They just got to be better than what they are right now. Saints insider, analyst, writer, Nick Underhill, our guest. Nick, the um, the pass rush, just one more question circling back to it. And you mentioned Cam Jordan only getting double chippled eight times. And I, I had a caller Monday morning that said, oh, he gets doubled all the time. I was like, I with Davenport back in the lineup, it, it's not happening as much, and it's not like he hasn't been doubled and chipped in the past. Um, you know, and he's – look, I think Saints fans love Cam Jordan. I think he's been – He's great for, for a lot of reasons. He hasn't played up to his standard. But my question more or less is about something you wrote about last week, and that being Marcus Davenport, um, his return into the lineup. Now that you've got another game uh, of getting to see him play and his impact, what are some things? Everyone saw the sack, and obviously they needed every inch of it because the 65-yard field goal would have been good from 64. But outside of just the obvious plays where you see him make the play, what else does he bring to the defense when he's on the field? He creates opportunities for, for other players, I think more so than, than some of the other guys. Like Trey Henderson's been doing a good job. You know, he's, he's converting. He's, he's getting the sacks, and he takes advantage of what's there. Um, but I think Davenport's a guy that when he's out there, you watch him, he moves the pocket a little bit. You know, he, he draws some extra attention every now and then. And sometimes, you know, there's plays where, where he'll take on two blockers, and then he creates a rushing lane for, for someone else, and then someone else gets in there and creates a pressure. And the way they, they slide their protection his way, I think it's uh, Cam Jordan more advantageous looks against the Chargers. There were a handful of plays where, where Cam benefited just from Davenport being on the field. And I, I don't think it was a coincidence that was Cam's best game of the season. You know, Herbert held the ball a little bit longer. Um, you know, he wasn't getting doubled the way he was earlier in the season. And you saw him, I think he had like seven or eight pressures. And I don't think it's a coincidence that this other guy's on the other side of the defensive line, and now these things are starting to happen. So, you know, I, he, he's he's a high end player, and if you don't if you don't account for him, and you know, I don't think you have to account for him the way you account for Cam Jordan, but if you don't account for him at all, if you treat him like he's Trey Hendrickson, you know, he's going to make you pay, and you're going to have to make that adjustment. So, you know, I think having him back is is it's huge for them. And I don't think it's a coincidence last year either. When he went out late in the season, their pass rush kind of hit the skids and it was kind of like it was the early part of uh, this season. So, you know, I, I don't, you know, there's going to be a contingent of, of people who watch this team who will never agree with giving up two first round picks for him. But I think, you know, at this point, you're three years removed from that. That's not the way to look at it anymore. He's on the team. The cost is gone. And he's better than anybody else they, they have as an option right now. The health is, is the big thing. And, you know, he just needs to keep himself on the field the rest of the way. And if he does that, I think you're going to see, you know, the, the, the production. And I think the potential we've talked about for so long is, is going to start, you know, showing up more and more in tangible ways every week. Talking Saints football with Nick Underhill of New Orleans.Football. If you're not subscribing, I would advise you to, especially if you want to get insight into the Saints and get material you can't get elsewhere. You can follow Nick on Twitter at Nick underscore Underhill. You can check out his podcast as well. A lot of great uh, content over there. We're going to take a quick timeout, come back, look at the other side of the ball a little bit. Uh, Cesar Ruiz, the rookie, playing a big role the other day. Marquez Calloway and more. We're going to get Nick's thoughts on that. And, of course, ask him about Michael Thomas. Don't go anywhere. The Great Scott Show continues right after this. 
Welcome into the 8 o'clock hour of the Great Scott Show, everybody. I'm Scott Prather. Coming up later this hour, we'll uh, have some sound from Stan Van Gundy's press conference yesterday and the introductory press conference with the Pelicans. We'll talk some World Series as well, but we're going to continue our Saints conversation right now with one of my favorite guests, Nick Underhill of New Orleans.Football. Um, we we kind of looked at the defensive side, Nick. On the offensive side of things, He's been written about a lot this week, but uh, when you watch Marquez Callaway in terms of, I guess, an undrafted rookie free agent, but the Saints obviously believed in this guy before the season started because if you make a 53-man roster when you don't have a preseason and a normal training camp, they saw something in him early on, and um, I think he is showing everybody what they saw. Very, very impressed with this guy. There's aspects of his story that I I think are are really interesting. The way they found him is they were doing a study on kicker turners across college football. And he he was someone they identified as as a top 10 uh, kicker turner, punt returner, which, you know, to me is is just, it's crazy that you're still scouting that position after the guy that you found doing that same study the year before becomes an all pro special teams player. And you're back at it, you know, just making sure, Hey, there isn't somebody else out there that, that could be a little bit better. And they found someone with the potential and they brought him in. So it's just, you know, a lesson like don't ever rest on your laurels. And, and you know, these guys got to keep performing. And I guess nobody ever really truly makes it. So that's how they found him. They brought him in. Um, you know, Darren Ridley, the special teams coach, was kind of the, the head of that. They also liked his receiving ability. But I don't know if, if he would have came in just straight as a receiver. I think the special team stuff got him that uh, look is, is an undrafted player. And they made a uh, priority to sign him. He got a pretty big signing bonus. So, you know, he, he came in, though, and again, like his way onto the team, I think they liked him as a receiver, but everything, you know, I was hearing throughout training camp was, and it wasn't even as a returner. Like very early in one of the first practices, I think I no, even noted it in my practice notes, like he beat uh, JT Gray and Justin Hardy, like a double team as a, as a gunner. He gets down the field and, you know, he just kept doing that over and over and over. And, you know, people started talking about him, you know, hey, we got to keep an eye on this guy. He, he could be the next JT Gray, like the special team stuff is outstanding. And, you know, I think that's that's the reason he's on the team. And if you don't have these injuries, you know, if Mike doesn't get hurt and then, you know, obviously suspended and then hurt again, if Emmanuel Sanders doesn't, you know, catch COVID, I'm not sure that we see him at, in this receiver role, you know, at least not as prominently. There might be a couple snaps here or there, but – you know, he was trusting the action, and he really, really took advantage of it. And I just think this was a game, too, that set up well for them to be without Mike Thomas and Emmanuel Sanders, even to find out midweek. I don't know if it changes your plan all that much. I'm sure you make some tweaks, but there, you know, Carolina was a team that's that's very static in what they do, and they play a lot of you know cover three and cover two zone, and you can just run your stuff and kind of sit in it and pick it apart. And, you know, that's kind of what they did throughout this game. And, you know, I thought he, he performed really well. Deontay Harris, you know, he was, he was able to, you know, use his quick mix to attack those uh, zones deeper down the sidelines. Um, we'll see this week. I think, you know, if Mike doesn't play this week, I don't think Sanders can play because it sounds like he had symptoms. So I think he has to sit out 10 days regardless. So I, if that's accurate, he, he's out for this game as well. You know, if they're, if they're playing with these two guys again, I think we'll find out a little bit more about them as, as receivers because, you know, uh, Chicago's a little bit different in how they cover, and I think your receivers need to be able to beat man a little bit. 
but you know that was kind of Callaway's thing at, at Tennessee. He was more of a deep threat. He, uh, you know, he, he was able to get down the field. They play a lot more man coverage uh, in college, and you know, you, you go through his cutups, and, and he's beating it. But you know, it's a little bit different in the NFL. But you know, we'll, we'll see coming into this game. I, I do think that he's on the right track. He's stepped up at, at every turn, and you know, honestly, when they do get Mike and Sanders back. If you're looking at like who's going to have the most snaps as the third receiver, you know I'm not sure that it's obvious that the the answer to that is still Traquan Smith. I think Callaway's, you know, he, he's off to a great start the way he's performing. If he does it again, you know, I think I think it might be a hard decision uh, when you're when you're kind of looking at it and trying to figure out who's going to play the most behind the uh, top two guys. Good stuff, Nick Underhill, our guest, ESPN fourteen twenty, talking Saints football. Um, uh, the receivers, you mentioned Michael Thomas a minute ago. Obviously, the offense flowed very well Sunday against Carolina. You won the time of possession battle by almost 10 minutes. You ran it 29 times. You had 30 completions, 37 pass attempts. But you had some balance there. It just it was flowing. You didn't have to punt. Everything was clicking. But we've seen against certain opponents and obviously a number of games, the offense be stuck in neutral at times, just kind of stagnant. Um, and it takes a couple of first downs to kind of get them going. I, that's just a wordy way of saying, look, this offense could really use Michael Thomas. I mean, it's it's not rocket science to say that. Um, there's a lot happening right now, and, and I've gotten different people's opinions. But the Michael Thomas, not so much what he brings to the field. I think everyone knows, maybe not as well as you in terms of the X's and O's, but everyone knows how big he is. What do you make of just the Michael Thomas situation and what's played out the last few weeks? It's, you know, I, I think he just needs to get on the field. And I think if he gets back on the field and he goes into a game and he gets nine targets and they win the game by 14 points or whatever, and everything feels good and it's going again, I, I think that will be something that, that cures a lot of what's going on between these parties right now. You know, I, I think that, look, I mean, there was a fight at practice and I know there's been a lot talked about what happened afterwards and everything, but, Look, I mean, Mike Mike was being car- guarded by Chauncey Gardner-Johnson during a red zone period. It's one, two, three snaps later. He comes across the field and, and punches a teammate who, who wasn't looking at him. He wasn't ready to be punched. And that was that's it. Like, that that's the thing that's going to get you sent home. And that can't happen. He was punished. I think, you know, some of the stuff that's happened since then, I you know, I wouldn't be surprised if, if, if some of the, the leaks and the information coming out in different stories is kind of, you know, Maybe maybe he hit Mike and you know he probably doesn't he probably doesn't like how he's being talked about. He tweeted about it like, hey, I was trying to come back, you know, I I had a setback, now I'm the bad guy, and it's just okay. Like we get it, and there's still these stories, people talking about you know trades and everything. I don't think he's going to be traded. I, I I would be really surprised by that. I, I just think that you know they they got to get in the the building. They got to start doing what they're doing, you know, doing what they're good at together and I think that takes care of everything. And you know, Mike is somebody who I think probably cares about football more than anybody I've ever met in my whole entire life cares about anything. I think I think football is such a primary part of his identity and it's it's different than it is for any professional athlete I've ever been around with him. It, it I, I don't even know how to, I don't have the vocabulary to describe, like you just, it seeds from him, his competitiveness, his passion, what the game means to him. You can just tell it's different. And I think you take that away from him 
through an injury. And I think there's probably just inherent frustration in that. And then, you know, I, he, he's practicing. And the way I heard it is that, you know, the week was, was a little bit rough for him. It looked like he was still working through things. He, you know, I, I think his frustration just boiled over. It's not the first two times these guys have fought in practice either, but this one was, was a little bit different. It wasn't like just within the flow of things, it kind of, you know, festered and there's, there's a punch that somebody's not ready to receive. I, I think that makes it a little bit different, but look, I, I just think he needs to play and he gets out there. I don't think the Saints are going to trade him. You never say never, you know, if somebody makes an insane offer, you probably consider it, but I think they know what Mike means to the team. I think they, they probably believe that he can come back and, and settle back in. And they're also, you know, I, I think they still believe that they can, they can win everything this year and trading Mike does not, coincide with that mission so it, it just wouldn't make a lot of sense to me you know all the money they just paid last year you don't just trade that away there's guarantees that you still pay whether he's here or not it just it just doesn't seem logical to me and I don't think that things are bad enough to where you need to take him out to fix the situation I think I think it, it can still come together and be fixed Nick Underhill our guest Saints analyst I, I my audience is sick of me saying it at this point probably but I feel like he's Christian Bale like you describing how much he loves football and it, his identity and like if you take that away, what it does to him and the thing that makes him great is also the thing that sometimes can cause issues on a team. Like Christian Bale's one of the best actors in the world, but it, you know the method acting sometimes carries over to the set. He has issues with the crew or the director, but everyone knows. Look, man, you know you put him in a movie and you're going to get amazing performances. I mean, he's that good. And if you take away that thing that makes him that good, well, maybe you don't have issues on the set, but you don't have the performance in these films that you get on a consistent basis that makes him great. So you take it, right? You take it because that's what makes Michael Thomas great. And I'm, I'm with you. I, I don't think it's to that point where it's like, I don't think it's nearly to the point that maybe others on the outside would suggest. And Sean Payton, um, you know, clapping back on Twitter at, Mike Florio is uh, just a reminder that I, I don't think there's another head coach in the NFL. I mean, we're not talking college football in the NFL that uh, that's that's like Sean Payton. I don't think another coach would do that, but I don't know. I, I guess he just has fun with it, man. I like it. It's good content for me working in this medium. You know, I, I think it's it's calculated on Sean's part too. I think you know, I think he he knows Michael see that and know that. Hey, look, we disciplined you, but I'm still behind you. This is what you mean to me, and I'm I'm going to make sure everybody knows it. And I, I thought it was very smart that both times that, that he he jumped in the fray and kind of shot down those uh, reports publicly. And that's not normally Sean's MO. He'll, he'll kind of like roll his eyes at a report, but he's not usually addressing them like that. So, you know, I, that was intelligent. And I, I think your analogy is really good. And the other thing I, I would say about Mike is that, well, this, this all happened. And, and, you know, obviously it reached a point where discipline was necessary. I'm not sure that, I, I don't know how to word this, but I'm not, I'm not sure that you would be entirely as someone that's around the team that's around Mike. I wasn't entirely surprised to hear that he was involved in a fight at practice. Sure. I mean, he's, he's just such a, a passionate guy and you know, there's just, he, he has that Jordan type of personality. And I, I said this before on, on and I kind of got blamed for it a little bit, but that competitiveness, that taking everything personally, you know, it, at times, it's get, most of the time, 98% of the time, it manifests perfectly in Mike to the point that, you know, it propels him to set these records and push himself to new heights. And, you know, he's, he's probably getting the maximum amount out of his athletic ability, you know, it, 
it's possible. I, you know, just because of the way he's driven, but there's, you know, the 2% and it's going to hit. And every now and then you're going to have something that you're going to have to say, all right, like you need to chill out. It can't be like this. This isn't good. And, you know, Michael Jordan got in fights of practice. Kobe Bryant got in fights of practice. Like these ultra competitors, Christian Bale, you know, I, the same way he's probably extremely passionate and competitive about his craft. There's, there's things that boil over and you deal with it and you know what you're getting into. And they knew who Mike was and yeah, they, they took care of it here, but I don't think anybody is surprised by this like aspect of his personality that came out. It's just like, okay, we got to manage it now and, and we got to step on it and make sure this doesn't get out of control. And that's what they did. And I think, again, I think once he's in the building and he's playing, I think it's all going to be fine. Whether it's in Chicago, whether it's in Tampa Bay, I think his first game back on the field, I'm expecting a monster performance from him. Um, and if it is uh, against Tampa Bay, I think NBC will <laughs> they'll celebrate because they know they're going to get Buku ratings. They might have Antonio Brown's first game, maybe Michael Thomas's first game back. There's a chance Breeze and Brady could both be tied for the all-time touchdown passing records. They're not going to have enough graphics set up for that one. Now, that's a week from Sunday. The Saints still have one before that one, uh, as do the Bucks. So Tampa's playing the Giants. Um, but, uh, but I know a lot of folks have that one circled. Nick Underhill has been our guest. Nick, before I let you go, man, always appreciate the time. We, uh, we like these monthly conversations, uh, new Orleans football. Um, I tell my listeners about it, but, uh, to hear it from you, why should folks check out everything you got going on over at new Orleans football? I'm just always going to work as hard as I can to, to bring unique analysis and try to have something that nobody else has and and you know we put in that work and if if you support i you know i don't ever take that for granted i, I try to, to earn the uh subscription money every month and never you know once you're in we're, we're trying to keep you in so i'm going to do everything i can so um you know if you like unique saints analysis hopefully uh my site provides that new orleans.football go check it out guys it does um it's definitely money well spent for me uh, and um, it, it helps me do a better job on this show and get a better understanding of the team so many here are passionate about. Nick Underhill's been our guest. Appreciate it, Nick, man. We'll talk to you again maybe um, a little before Thanksgiving, but uh, in the meantime, we'll be following you on Twitter, reading your stuff at NewOrleans.Football, and, uh, and listening to the podcast as well. All right, thanks for having me.